Well, it's starting to feel like Christmas, isn't it? The snow today was it for me. I needed that. Sometimes, you know, a green Christmas, that doesn't equate to Christmas in my mind living in Canada. But once the snow fell this morning, I said, it's Christmas. And we are continuing our series, Christmas Without Christ. And some of you are wondering, Christmas without Christ? Aren't, shouldn't you be telling us Christmas with Christ? Well, I'm trying to indicate the difference it makes when, you know, when we have Christ and when we don't have Christ. And uh, we're going to examine a few things. We've been doing this over the past few weeks. But on Christmas Eve, I don't want you to miss this message. I'm going to share a message on Christmas with Christ. And I want you to invite your friends. I want you to invite your family. I want to pack out this place with people. We're going to have a beautiful celebration together, and you don't want to miss it. And so today, we are continuing in our series. Uh, and without Christ, we will experience what I really believe is called the lows of Christmas. Our scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. The scripture will be on the screen behind me, uh, on your screen at home, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Let's read together in one voice. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Wonderful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Luke. And we thank you for the story of Jesus, Lord, that you are indeed a real person who lived in real time. And we're grateful, Lord, that you came. God, you sent your son out of great love for us. And Father, I, I know that as we read this story, may we see the absence of people, that Jesus wasn't celebrated the way he ought to have been celebrated, but he was celebrated in such a lowly way. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand the meaning of this text. Lord, I pray that you'd help us make room in our hearts, make room in our homes for those who are experiencing the lows of Christmas this year, that no one should experience Christmas alone. But God, I'm praying that the church of Jesus Christ would rise up, that we would indeed be the people you called us to be, that we would love one another. And may the world see our love for each other and then be drawn to the God of Christmas, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that you be with us this morning. Speak to our hearts and our minds. Challenge us, Lord. Move us to action, I pray. Jesus, I declare my need of you as I preach the word of God before these people and online. Lord, I, I recognize that in my humanity, I can't do this, but if your spirit would empower me, I can do this. So I look to you, God, for strength and empowerment from on high. May the word of, of, of Christ be proclaimed boldly in this place. And Lord, may we apply the principles to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. 
Christmas cheer causes us to optimistically look for happiness and joy in all people and in all places. And while the arrival of Jesus is such great news for the believer, I'm not sure that is the way everyone felt, those in the background of the original narrative. If we were to gloss over the birth narratives of Jesus in the four Gospels, we might assume that Jesus' arrival into our world was anticipated, it was well celebrated, but that is actually the furthest thing from the truth. This is not a once upon a time story with a happy beginning and a happy ending. The birth of Jesus is a real life event with real challenges. Jesus was willing to get low in order to raise us up. Let me repeat that again. I want you to catch it this morning. Jesus was willing to get low in order to raise us up. How so, you might ask? Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, the apostle Paul wrote this. He said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) The contrast is being made between heavenly riches and earthly poverty. And Jesus came from heaven to earth in order to take us from earth to heaven. In Philippians 2, 6 to 8, the apostle Paul, he also wrote, Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Instead of equality with God, he chose inequality with God. Instead of advantage, he chose disadvantage. Instead of being served, he chose to be a servant. And while still being fully God, he chose to be fully human, fully man. I want you to know today that Jesus is well acquainted with the lows of life. You do not need to wait to the crucifixion in order to come to this conclusion. Right from his incarnation, right from the moment of his birth, we have enough proof that Jesus understands the lows of life. This morning, I want to share a message with you about the real rejection And the real loneliness that Jesus entered and his family experienced during that first Christmas based on the record of Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. And how he alone can truly relate to our own feelings of rejection and loneliness this Christmas. First thing I want to share with you this morning is that there is no honor. There is no honor. We read in verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Joseph had settled in and was working in Nazareth, a carpenter by trade in the tribal area of Naphtali. And Joseph, however, he was born in and had family property, likely, in Bethlehem, in the tribal area of Judah. And the census required that Joseph return to his ancestral home in order to be counted among his tribe, but also determine the level of taxation that needed to be paid. Now, everybody hates taxes. The census reminds us of how small and how insignificant Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were in the world's eyes. They were just a number. And I think it's important 
for us to know the general perception of, that people had when it came to Nazareth. In, in John chapter 1, verse 45 to 46, it is the Apostle John who retold of the disciple Nathaniel's initial reaction to the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. And he said this, the scripture says, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. You know, that same stigma that marked Jesus would have also marked Joseph too. Bethlehem was considered a small place that had lost significance since the royal time of David. In Micah 5, verse 2, the Lord used the minor prophet to prophesy, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins from of old, from ancient times. I love that. Therefore, Jesus had no social clout to exercise. In people's eyes, he was just a nobody from nowheresville. You know, every person has this innate longing to be honored. Every human being, it's inside of us. And some people may think that we are unworthy or undeserving of respect and honor and the same opportunity simply because of our status or where we were born or how we've been raised. And if you feel that way today, I want you to know that Jesus completely understands you. Completely. He deserved to be honored, yet he was dishonored. And if it happened to Jesus, then it really can happen to us too. You don't have to live with an inferiority complex because God has a way of doing big things with seemingly small people. In fact, I want to encourage you with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, and I love how the message translation renders it. Scripture says, isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women, that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies, to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. It's good. In a countercultural way, God has chosen you, each and every one of you in this place, each and every one of you online. God has chosen you with purpose. With, he did it deliberately. He raises nobodies into somebodies and he reduces somebodies to nobodies. And may this news lift you up from that low place you may be in today. That though the world may overlook you, you serve a God. You love a God who will never overlook you. He sees value in you. He sees purpose in you. He designed you. You're wonderfully made. You're part of his plan. Secondly, today, there's no family. If we look through the story, we'll see no family. Verses 5 to 6. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And the news of a coming child is often accompanied by great celebration, by great joy. But this holy pregnancy was in question from the very beginning. Where are Joseph's parents? Where are Joseph's siblings? Where are Joseph's relatives? 
They're nowhere to be seen in the text. Nowhere. Where are Mary's parents? Where are Mary's siblings? Where are Mary's relatives? Now, we do encounter Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. And despite their big age gap, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. And both of them were pregnant with child. The Holy Spirit confirmed the importance of Mary's pregnancy as John leapt baby John in Elizabeth's womb. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for the duration of that first trimester. But other than this brief mention, there are no family members to be seen. And that's troubling in the text. These people are alone. Sadly, there was no baby shower to bless the soon-to-be parents. There was no gender reveal party with a blue balloon and a pink balloon. There was no emotional support system. This was hard. The people who you thought loved you the most should be there, but they're nowhere to be seen. Most people would have been skeptical, skeptical about Joseph and Mary's relationship. Were they guilty of premarital relations or had Mary been unfaithful? And what we consider to be the greatest news in all of history would be gossip news by Joseph and Mary's closest family and friends. How are they to deal with all this all by themselves? And so it was just Joseph and Mary all on their own. Now, yes, there were shepherds that came from nearby. And yes, there were magi that came from a long ways away. But there was no family and there was no friends. As Joseph and Mary experienced the highs and lows of Jesus' birth, and I'm pretty sure it must have been a roller coaster ride. God sent absolute strangers to celebrate with them. Absolute strangers. I believe that God wants to use you this Christmas like he used the shepherds and he used the magi. And this requires hearing. Your ears need to be attuned to what God is saying. The shepherds were the ones who listened to the voice of the angel of the Lord and they obeyed that voice. This requires seeing that the Magi saw the sign of the star and they followed it until they arrived at the place where Jesus was. Can I encourage you to listen for the voice and look for the signs that God will send you in order to lead you to those experiencing Christmas without family or friends? Jesus Christ, he enables us to move beyond a narrow biological family into a spiritual family. It was his birth that caused the Jewish fringe, those shepherds, to participate in a special family event. It was his birth that caused the Gentile foreigners from a foreign place to participate in a family event. You might not have family here in Canada, Maybe you're an immigrant to Canada or maybe you're an international student and you don't have family here. Maybe you do have family here, but they're not interested in spending time with you this Christmas. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here, God is calling us to expand the boundaries of our family. That there are some brothers and sisters in Christ who need you and who need your family so that no one should celebrate Christmas alone. Not one person. That's my prayer for this church. Not one person at WPA would celebrate Christmas alone. 
Thirdly, today, there is no room. There is no room in the end. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. It's important to remember that Bethlehem was full of visitors, full of guests due to the census. And unfortunately, there was no holiday inn. They would have to rely on the hospitality of their family, on the hospitality of their friends. And a considerate person would give up a room or they would offer a bed for a pregnant woman that is ready to deliver their child. But it seems that Jesus was ordained from the very beginning to enter the world in this lowly way. You may recall what Jesus said about himself much later in the gospel of Luke chapter 9 verse 58. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. There was no way to slow down the labor. Jesus was coming into the world whether the world was ready for him or not. And after Jesus was born, the only place to lay him was in a manger. And many commentators agree that this feeding trough was likely set in the recess of a cave. And as you can imagine, the environment would be cold and damp and dark. It was unfit for a child, unfit for a king. But perhaps this is what makes Jesus' birth so profound. What we do know is that the earth is the Lord's and yet humanity still made no room for him. If only they knew who they were saying no to. If only they knew. Those who believe in Jesus have made room for him in their hearts. Thank you, Lord. We've made room for Jesus in our hearts. And having done so, Christians are now to make room for others in their lives, in their hearts. Unexpected surprises happen. People knock on your door. Needs come to the surface, and God is looking at his people to do something. And it might be a little inconvenient. It might be time-consuming, perhaps even costly. But the arrival of Jesus reminds us of the necessity to make room for other people in our lives. WPA, what can we do for those who are feeling low this Christmas? Can't do nothing. We have to do something. I think of the Apostle Paul who wrote many letters to various churches. And although many believers were strangers to him, he had never met them before, it was through the medium of letter writing that people came to know his heart. People came to know what he was all about. And I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. And my prayer is that this would just resonate in your heart today. Make room for us in your hearts. Make room for somebody in your hearts. And the reason why he so confidently made this request of them was because of what he had already done in the past. In 2 Corinthians 7, 3, he goes on to say, I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. The people were in his hearts, but now he's asking them, put me into your hearts. Who has place in your heart? 
Who is making room in their heart today? We need more heart-to-heart connections. As the people of God, we need to know each other and do life together because it will cause us to long to live with people and even die with people. So extreme. If we make room in our hearts for others, we will be quick to make room in our homes for others. It starts with your heart, friend. This is a heart condition. If you can make room in your heart, then you'll open up a room in your house. You'll add a chair to the table. You will do something. You'll pick somebody up and bring them to your home. You'll do it because it's a heart condition. As we conclude this morning and the worship team returns to the platform, I'm not sure if you've heard about this, but a few years ago, the inverted Christmas tree made a comeback, and you might want to consider trying this at home, although it's extremely unconventional. There's a picture on the screen. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's a little blurry, but you'll get the idea. I did a little bit of research, and I found that the tradition actually goes back to the Middle Ages, where Europeans employed the act in order to represent the Holy Trinity, which is in the shape of a triangle. And the first to popularize this, according to many sources, was St. Boniface, Boniface from Fulda, Germany. I've been there. A Benedictine monk who used the inverted trees as a theological teaching tool for pagan Germans. It continued throughout Europe into the 19th century, primarily adopted by working class and lower class households that hung trees from their rafters due to both religious significance and a lack of household space. In 2018, Ariana Grande even had one in her house. Some of you don't even know who Ariana Grande is. I just realized that. That's okay. She's a celebrity. And according to Celebrity News, which is really good news, she used it as a metaphor for life at that time, in that season. And she says, sometimes life is just upside down. Ariana was likely experiencing the lows instead of the highs of Christmas. Now, I'm not asking any of you to go home and redecorate. I don't think anybody in your family would like that. They do not want to see a Christmas tree hanging upside down from the ceiling. But here's what I want you to understand. I want you to recognize today how some people are really feeling this Christmas. They're feeling like Ariana Grande. Some people are seeing Christmas upside down. And one way we can turn and help is by honoring them, by making them part of our family and making room for them in our homes. You know, this is not meant to be a feel-good Christmas message that we only hear. This is meant to be an action-oriented message that we live out. You know, here comes the risky part. And I say this with all eyes open and no heads bowed, okay? Here's the risky part. Who's actually willing to admit that they're feeling the lows of Christmas this year? If that's you this morning, would you just be so bold to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm feeling the lows of Christmas. Yeah, 
I'm feeling it. I, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if it's grief or family or whatever that is. You're alone. You're isolated. You're just not feeling it. You're feeling the lows of Christmas. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just be unashamed just for a moment. Look around. There's some hands. Let me be the first one to say it today, that there's room in my house and with my family if you're feeling the lows of Christmas. And how many others would also be here today and they'd say, there's room in my home and with my family for those who are feeling the lows of Christmas. If that's you and you have room in your home, you're willing to say, yes, would you just raise your hand? Would you be so bold today? I know it's a risk. I know it's daunting. But I think I know many of you. You'd be willing to open up your home to somebody this Christmas. It could be on the 24th, it could be on the 25th, it could be on the 26th. The key is that nobody spends Christmas alone. Friends, let's not make any assumptions today. You know, when we come into the church, we often make assumptions. We, we look at people and they put on their best face, so we assume that everything is great in their life. And we do the same. We come in and we put our face together and we're like, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, it's great to be here today. Ah, oh, yeah, but everything in our life is crumbling. need to be honest with each other, vulnerable with each other. So let's not make any assumptions, but, let, but let's make some heart-to-heart -heart connections today so that we can proactively adjust our plans and include those who are feeling the lows of Christmas. Let's not pretend to be the family of God. Let's actually be the family of God. It starts here in this church. I know it's a big family. I know you haven't even seen half of your family today. They were here earlier at the 9 a.m. service, but they did this. And there's some people who are connecting together after service saying, come over to my home. I'll make room for you. There's a seat at the table. Let's not pretend. I'm tired of pretending. I don't want to pretend. Let's be the real thing. Let's be Christians. Let's love one another. Let's pray.